Listen, I, I'm looking for my wife. What? My wife. Where is she? How should I know where your wife is? I'm the guy with the Jeep. He gave my wife a ride. You were supposed to drop her off at Bell's Diner. <laughs> Not me. Sorry. Wait a minute. What do you mean, sorry? It's like a half an hour ago, for Christ's sake. You don't remember? Look, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've never seen you before in my life. After their car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, a woman is abducted and her husband tries desperately to find her. Join us as we talk about people who are against catharsis, listening to podcasts in heaven, and playing Doom on a refrigerator. Then we find out if Breakdown stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time. I'm James Brief. And I'm Alan Noah. How you doing, James? I'm good. I'm excited to review a movie that is a request from one of our listeners. That's right. This comes from Dustin Cedillo. Cedillo? I believe he asked us to do this movie after we did Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. I think it was Facebook, maybe? Dustin said, hey, uh, if you want to do another Kurt Russell movie, you should do Breakdown. And this was a movie we'd had on the list for a while. Uh, It's the 25th anniversary. I'm a sucker for anniversaries. And I remember you lent me this movie on DVD once many, many, many years ago, long before we were doing the podcast. You said, hey, did you ever see this movie, Breakdown? And I said, no, I don't think so. And you handed it to me and said, yeah, you should watch it. It's pretty good. And I believe it was at the time when I was commuting from Queens into New York City, and I had a portable DVD player, and I would just watch movies and TV shows all the time on my commute. And yeah, this was a movie that I watched on my portable DVD player one time because you lent it to me. I mean, this film was released on May 2nd, 1997, and uh, maybe I had heard of it in passing, but I just didn't know it existed. And I randomly, a couple years later, I went to see a friend in uh, another country. It was the first time I ever traveled internationally uh, alone that wasn't part of some program or something. And I basically just like was let into his house. I got there while he was uh, at work. And this is like pre-cell phone, so I had nothing to do for like hours and there was a couple DVDs there and like they were mostly in language I didn't speak but then there was one DVD and said breakdown and I'm like I guess I'll just watch this and I put it in and I was like completely hypnotized by this film I'm glad it killed like an hour and a half of time and then I totally forgot about it for years bought the DVD always remembered that I found it kind of intriguing but I've really never seen this film that many times I think I've seen it maybe like twice and this is the third time I've actually seen it through okay so you watch the movie once in Brazil you bought the DVD watched it once lent it to me I watched it once and then it went back on the shelf and sat there for many years until this week probably but did you watch it this week on DVD or did you watch it on HBO Max 
You're right. Actually, I watched that on HBO Max, so I didn't even take it. I actually, I did take the DVD out because I was looking at something on it, but I did not use the disc, the digital video disc. I did not use. You didn't watch it with commentary. You didn't get any special features or anything. No, I did not. If I want to watch the trailer, I'd have to go to YouTube. Okay. I love when that's a feature trailer. I saw on Twitter the other day the trailer for Empire Strikes Back. Did you ever see that? Like the original trailers that's like from like 1979 or something? Yeah. It's narrated by Harrison Ford. And he's so excited. Like you hear it in his voice. Like the thrilling Star Wars story continues with all of our favorite heroes. Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, and introducing Lando Calrissian. I'm not doing it justice. Like he was just so amped and so excited. And like Harrison Ford, who you always kind of picture as a curmudgeon. Like he was just really happy about Empire Strikes Back. I love that. But usually, yeah, uh, trailers as a special feature on a DVD. Come on. Who cares? Come on. Come on. But this movie, Breakdown, it's about a married couple, Jeff and Amy, and they're driving from Massachusetts to San Diego. After their car breaks down in the middle of the desert, a trucker offers to give Amy a ride to a nearby diner, but she never shows up. When Jeff catches up with the trucker, he denies ever having met the couple. With the police unable to help, Jeff takes matters into his own hands to track down his wife and the kidnappers who took her. So this movie came and went from theaters in 1997? You know, two weeks ago we reviewed a film In and Out, and that also came out in mid-97. This film came out May 2nd, 1997, and also like that film had a $35 million budget. And this film, it made $50 million. So I was actually surprised how much this made, considering I didn't really know about it. So it probably made, you know, a couple bucks uh, when all said and done with the marketing. It's funny, this movie opened at number one on its opening weekend with $12 million. And it actually beat the number two film that year. Uh, We reviewed this film. Something in this film, it mentioned a popular winter sport. Um, It mentions this in passing, uh, a winter sport where you ride down on a very, very short little sled. Uh, Luge? Correct. Uh, It's a movie where they mention Luge? Uh Uh-huh, 1997. And it comes in number two. You would think today this definitely came in number one. But actually when it came out, it was not a big hit. I don't know. I'll say this. It wasn't luge specifically. It was luge lessons. Oh, Austin Powers? That's right. came in number two. That's such a random line from Austin Powers. You could have picked literally any other line and I would have gotten it. Luge lessons. That's the point. If I was like, it was a film about a shaved cat, I think it would be a little obvious. Yeah, I mean, help a guy out. Jeez, I mean. You got luge. I thought once you got luge, you would get it. No. And this is 1997. Now you think about this. Number 15, 16, and 17 were popular re-releases. Star Wars trilogy. Right. Come on, of course. I remember going to see... All of those movies re-released in the theaters. That was senior year in high school. I remember I didn't get to see Star Wars right, right away when it was re-released because it was like my senior trip. But like as soon as we got back from the senior trip, I went to see it and I saw all of those right away when they came out. Of course. Okay, so the movie did decently enough, I guess, at the box office. Uh, The movie starts off with Jeff and Amy. They're driving 
cross country. Amy's asleep. And Jeff is like reaching in the back to get some coffee because he's tired. They've been driving a long way. And like a Ford truck pulls right in front of them on the road. When it's like an empty highway, he could have pulled out any time, but he's pretty clearly messing with them or he's just not at all paying attention. Shortly after that, Jeff and Amy pull over and the guy who is driving that truck basically starts yelling at Jeff and is harassing him. It's like, do you even care that you almost hit me? And Jeff's like, you almost hit me, man. This guy's kind of being threatening and Jeff is like, I don't want any trouble. We'll just go our separate way. The guy who is uh, harassing him, did you recognize him from somewhere? No. I recognized him immediately as Mr. Friendly from Lost. He was one of the others with uh, Ben's group. I recognize him. He was also in Con Air, I think. I just recognize him as Mr. Friendly from Lost. He's like a bad guy because he's with the others, but he's also not that bad of a bad guy in that show. Whatever. He's Earl in this movie. That's his character's name. So Jeff and Amy, they leave the gas station. And then what happens in a movie called Breakdown? Their car breaks down. Well, then shouldn't the movie be Breaks Down? Well, it's a breakdown oh, that happens. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Whether okay. it's a noun or a verb. You see, it could be used both ways. Um, right. The car breaks down. And the first thing Jeff does is he grabs his cell phone. But it's like a huge, giant, mega 1990s cell phone that has like the little tiny plastic part at the bottom that flips out. And, and the antenna that you extend. Right. And they don't have any service because they're in the middle of the desert. But I did think it was interesting that he does have a cell phone because they are driving a nice new Jeep. It seems like they have some money, although they're also saying they left their jobs in Massachusetts to start over in San Diego. So they don't really have that much money, but they at least have a nice car and a cell phone. Right, right. And suddenly they see that black uh, Ford pickup truck at the top of the hill. And it's looking kind of menacing. And they're like, oh, shit. Like, you're in the middle of the American Southwest. I don't know if you've ever been there, Alan. Sure. It is gorgeous. But you're on your own. Like, no one's coming to rescue you. Except suddenly, out of nowhere, this menacing truck is scared off when a huge 18-wheeler pulls up. And suddenly, uh, Amy and Jeff, uh, they run onto the road. They wave their hands. Hey, please help us, help us. And then the 18-wheeler stops. And so they're like, hey, how can I help you? And they're like, our car is busted. And he offers to give them both a ride to, you know, get a tow truck. But uh, Jeff is worried. I don't want to leave this car here because that guy's going to mess with it if, uh, you know, we just abandon this bright red Jeep Grand Cherokee. And it's not just the car. It's all of their stuff. Like, they are moving from Massachusetts to San Diego. So you figure, like, they brought their lives. They packed up all of their belongings with them. So it's not just their car. It's everything they own. Right, right. So uh, they come up with a solution. Uh, Jeff is going to stay with the car, and Amy hops in the truck, and he's going to bring her to the diner, uh, a little down down the street. She'll call a tow truck, and eventually the tow truck will come, and they're going to rendezvous at this diner. Right, except that a lot of time passes, no one comes, and Jeff looks at the car and realizes that there's a wire hanging down someone messed with the car something is unplugged and i don't know cars i do not understand how cars work if i pop open a hood and i look under there i don't know what i'm looking at 
but it does seem a little weird to me that if someone was messing with their car and we later find out that it was Earl, the, the hillbilly guy from Lost who was messing with them, if he unplugs something, how does the car drive for such a long distance from that gas station to the middle of nowhere and then stop? I would think that either the car wouldn't go at all or it would go, not that it can go like 50 miles and then stop. But again, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know. Uh, me neither. So I don't know either, but it sounded plausible to me. Oh, okay. It sounded weird to me, but fine. I'll let that one go. Good. You let it go. Don't hold these things in. I don't, James. I let it all out here on the podcast. That's what this is for. Catharsism. Catharsis. Catharsism would be like if you're really against catharsis. Uh, wouldn't that be anti-catharsis? No, A- like catharsism, like racism. Oh, uh- <laughs> Yes, I guess so. Or you worship it and it's your religion, like Catholicism. Or if you're a catharsist, <laughs> then you're racist, but against cathartic things. Uh, but anyway, back to breakdown. Uh, the car is no longer broken down and it is now working. He takes his working car, he goes to the diner, and inside the diner, no one's seen Amy. But everyone's kind of weird in this diner. You know, he's like, I'm missing my wife, and no one, like, no one bats an eye. Even the, like, owner of the diner is like, I don't give a shit, like, you're annoying me. And he winds up tracking down the 18-wheeler, and he pulls up in front of it, the 18-wheeler stops, and the guy's like, I don't know who the hell you are. And when he comes out of the truck, he doesn't totally look the same. He has different glasses and like he wears the, the hat a little bit. I, I was like, wait a second. I'm 99% uh, sure this is the same guy. But I, the first time I saw this, I was like, is this a Twilight Zone kind of thing? I, I thought it was definitely going to go in a weird direction. But the direction it goes is that this guy says, sir, I, I don't know who you are. Just as a cop comes by and Jeff is like, hey, hey stop. And this guy kidnapped my wife and now he's claiming he's never met us. You thought that the truck driver looked different in this scene than he did like three scenes ago? I did a little bit. I actually did. I thought he looked exactly the same. And I thought that it was a missed opportunity because it would have been smarter to fuck with Jeff and fuck with the audience if the first time you see him, he's got a beard. And now he doesn't have a beard, but he kind of looks the same and he's kind of wearing the same clothes. But that other guy wore a beard and this guy doesn't have a beard. And well, maybe he shaved it, but why would he shave it? And like, you know, something like that to kind of mess with your head and mess with Jeff's head a little bit. But no, I thought he looked exactly the fucking same. I thought maybe there was going to be like a twin situation, which would have been lame. But I didn't really remember what happened in this movie. But what if it was a triplet situation? That would have been a twist. Uh, but the cop is like, hey, I can't really help you because there's no signs of a struggle. There's no signs of your wife here. He says, look, here's what you need to do. Go and report this to my deputy. He'll create a missing persons file. That's what you got to do. And Jeff doesn't know what else to do. So he does that. And while he's in the police station, there's this huge wall of missing people, some men, some women. It's scary. And the deputy is like, oh, yeah, you know, people go missing all the time. And yeah, what are you going to do? Which is definitely not what Jeff wants to hear because he's really freaking out about his wife who's gone. Yeah, so he realizes the police are not really going to help him. So he goes back to the diner. No one's helping him there. No one's claimed to have seen her except for this one guy. He's a kind of a slower guy and he, he has a little bit of a slow speech and he goes... You know, I'm going to give you some information, sir. It was these people that took her. And he's like, we should go to the police with this information. And the guy goes, 
Man, the police are in on it. So Jeff now knows where to go from what this uh, this guy told him. He said, you know, you have to go to this place. He also now realizes, I'm not going to get any cops involved. I think it's very clever what this guy says. Well, I guess we're spoiling it now. This is all a trap. The slow-talking guy, he's, he's in on this gang. And he now has a good reason for not going to any of the police right now because he's convinced in this small town where the sheriff admits there's only two cops in this town. It could very easily be a situation where if a local's like, oh, the police are totally in on this, that he would believe him. Except that in the very next scene, Jeff goes where this guy told him to go. And it's a trap. It's an ambush. Earl, the guy from the Ford pickup truck, is there, starts shooting at him. Jeff drives his Jeep into a river. Earl is shooting at him, but he misses him. And Jeff is able to get away. But then while he's watching Earl and his buddy tow uh, his Jeep out of the river, the guy who was pretending to be slow before, his name is Billy. Billy is there. He punches Jeff. And then when Jeff comes to, he realizes that Billy was in on it. He's not really slow. He was just telling Jeff that so he would go to this place where Earl could ambush him. Aha. But so then the twist of the cops are in on it is like gone because now Jeff knows that this guy was not who he says he was. He was pretending to be a good guy who was helping him. But no, he's a scumbag with these criminals. But it worked as long as it needed it to work. They needed him to not go to the cops until they were able to ambush him. And as we learn, their plan now is they're going to have one little task for him to do, and then they're going to kill him. So there's not going to be an opportunity for him to go to the cops again. If their plan works the way it seems to have implied later in the film, it's worked many times before. Well, hold on. How do you know that it's worked many times before? This is definitely not their first kidnapping. They explain that later. Right. I don't really get what their plan is, and I don't really get what their motivation is, and I don't really get if they're pros at this. Do they do this all the time? Is this their second time, third time? Are they still kind of new at it? Like, why is this guy pretending to be dumb? This is pointless theater. If he needs to get Jeff to this random spot where they can ambush him, kill him, whatever, like, why doesn't he just, like, you know, stick a gun in his back and say, you're coming with me? Possibly, but, uh, you know, you could get caught, I guess. It's, it's a good point. Yeah, I was just really confused because here at this point, Jeff sees Billy, the guy who is pretending to be dumb, and Earl, the guy with the pickup truck, and Red, who is the truck driver from the beginning, who is offering to help and took Amy, but then said he didn't know him later. It was the same guy. He did remember him. He says, I've got something you want, Jeff. It's about 115 pounds. Three or four of those pounds are tit, which I was like, what the fuck does that mean? That's a really weird thing to say. There's an implication that they might do something, not just kill her, but they, they might also rape her or assault her somehow. I think they're reminding him, you're a pretty, pretty wife. That's basically the way he's saying it. And I want to take this opportunity to talk about that actor who plays Red. This guy, J.T. Walsh, I think he is terrifying in this film. Remember that show Home Improvement? The yeah. character Wilson? Mm -hmm. He kind of looks like a sweet, sweet Wilson. But, oh man, he is the sadistic, but the coldly sadistic. Not the uh, American psycho kind of guy. We learn he's a family man whose family has no idea he's a murderer. This guy is awesome. I love this guy, J.T. Walsh. I don't think I've seen him in anything else. You have. 
Well, what have I seen him in? He was in Pleasantville. That's right, and he's awesome in Pleasantville too. This guy's great. I, I am a J.T. Walsh fan. This was the last movie that was released while he was alive. Oh, that's terrible. This guy's awesome. If you're still listening somehow, I am a fan of yours. You're saying that they listen to the Test of Time podcast in heaven? Al, if there is a heaven and there is a podcast playing there, what would some of the podcasts be? Would you think Test of Time would be one of those? Uh, I mean... Or do you think it would be serial, about serial killers? Well, serial wasn't about serial killers. It was one story told in a right, serial right, yeah, format. Right. It was a si- and it was a single, possibly single killer. Right. Um. So, test of time or that one? I mean, I'm sure there are several. I get those emails that talk about like how we chart in different countries, you <laughs> yes. know, but I don't see how we chart in heaven. But the point is, what was the point? <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, know breakdown. Right, breakdown. So um the point is is that JT Walsh is scary in this movie, but we were talking about like him implying that they're raping the wife. He does say that like, oh, she's got uh nice brunette hair upstairs and down. Okay, that I get that it's implying rape, but when he says three or four pounds worth of tit, I was like, that's just weird. But yes, I get it. The implication is that maybe they're raping her. Maybe they have. Maybe they will. And the threat is that they need to have Jeff go into town, this tiny little town, and go to the bank and take out all of their money. Because Amy has told them that she is a donut heiress. They have $90,000 in the bank because they run like a donut company. And that's a callback to earlier in the movie. After they stop at the gas station, she gets some donuts and there's a contest of you can win $90,000 or 90,000 donuts. And that's what she's referring to. So the bad guys are like, we know you have $90,000. You're going to go to that bank. You're going to take out the money. You're going to give it to us or else you'll never see your wife again. TikTok, you better go. So Jeff goes into this bank And he tries to take out some money, but he doesn't have $90,000 because they're not really uh, donut entrepreneurs. He only has $5,000. And while the guy is like going to get that money while he's transferring it, he grabs like a, a letter opener, which, you know, can be sharp. And I thought at this point he was going to rob the bank because that's what he's got to do, right? They're threatening his wife. They want $90,000. He doesn't have that much money. He's got to do something to protect his wife. And I thought he was going to rob that bank. But he takes the thing and puts it into his jacket. And then the scene just ends. Yeah, he's saving it for later. Right. I get that. Oh, I got that immediately the first time. uh, (laughs) You thought he was going to rob a bank. Yeah. What he also steals is very clever. He withdraws like the, all the $5,000 that he has. A couple hundreds, but the rest of it he gets in all ones. And the reason he wants it in all in ones is because he's able to make several stacks uh, with a hundred on the top and bottom of it. And he just wraps these uh, like $10,000 pieces of paper that you see in the movies. And he just wraps it around so it looks like it's nine stacks of $10,000. Right. And then when Earl shows up to pick him up, he just very quickly looks in the bag and sees cash and doesn't bother to count it or anything and just drives off. And I was like, you would think he would check it a little bit, like maybe not count every single bill, but he doesn't bother to check it at all. And then Earl drives off with Jeff duct taped. But because Jeff has that uh, letter opener, he's able to cut himself loose. 
And then he overpowers Earl, and then he tapes up Earl. He puts duct tape around his neck and then is, like, driving really fast and slamming on the brake and choking Earl that way. And I thought this was interesting because now we're seeing Jeff, who's kind of losing it a little bit. And Is he having a breakdown? Well, maybe a little. I was expecting that he was going to have much more of a breakdown. And this is really the only scene where you see him break down a little bit. I thought he was going to break down in the bank and and rob the bank. Here, he's kind of like being really aggressive with Earl to get information. He finds out where Earl was headed at this one truck stop. But then while he's driving so erratically, the cop from before sees him and turns his lights on. And Jeff is like, oh, good, the cop. He runs out of the the truck and is like, officer, officer, you got to help me. And that's really stupid because he's holding a gun. He looks crazy. He seems crazy. And Earl's able to free himself. He shoots the cop. And then Earl is about to shoot and kill Jeff. But the cop was wounded but not dead. And he shoots Earl. I thought that it was interesting when Jeff started, like, torturing Earl, kind of. But I also thought he could have been way more aggressive and way smarter about what he was doing if he was, like, focused on getting his wife. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, the horror movies are always doing incredibly stupid things like, let's all split up in this haunted house. The one thing I really like about this film is this is an everyman. He's an average Joe. He's not that athletic. He's not a former Navy SEAL that knows how to do any of these things. He's not Snake Plissken. No, he is not. So... You're exactly right. He could have done this a lot better, but he makes mistakes, and that's fine, and and it's totally believable. He makes a dumb mistake. A couple times they make stupid mistakes, and this is not the last mistake he'll make. Sure. I guess I wasn't just surprised that he made a mistake. As soon as he overpowered Earl, I thought he would have taken that knife and jammed it right into the guy's, like, leg, thigh, something, and been like, now... You're going to talk to me. Like, why duct tape him and drive really fast and slam on the brakes? Like, that's just an inefficient thing to do. If you're furious and focused, do better. Yes, but as we'll see later, he also, at another point in the film, will have an opportunity to gain an advantage by basically murdering an adversary or two, and he doesn't take it. So there is a line he doesn't seem to be able to cross. Right. And because Jeff is a good man, he goes to check on the police officer who was shot. He uses his radio and says, you need to get an ambulance here fast. This officer is shot. He goes off to the truck stop that Earl told him about. He sees Red there. Red is going to get away in his truck. And Jeff is able to climb under Red's truck, like in the undercarriage, hitch a ride, and then just go with him. So wherever he's going, wherever uh, his wife is, he'll be there. They reset Jeff's character because he uh, he loses the gun that he's picked up. So now he's back to square one. And it's a tense scene because he's kind of underneath and he's hanging on like a bar. And you can't do that for like the 12 hours that he's going to need. So there's a tense scene where he basically has to climb on the side of the truck. He has to get to a safer spot. I thought he was going to get to the roof of the truck. I thought that was the uh, obvious place to hide. But he hides in the little carriage between the uh, the front and the, uh, and the rig in the back. Yeah. And when Red gets to their quote-unquote hideout, it's his house. It's where he lives with his wife and kid. And 
the wife is like, I wasn't expecting you home. And he says, yeah, well, we ran into some trouble. Uh, hey, the guys are coming over. Why don't you make us breakfast? Because it's dark, but it's going to be dawn soon. And Jeff sneaks into the rafters of this barn. He sees Red and his two goons, Billy and the other guy. And they have Amy. She's wrapped up. She was underneath the truck. It looks like she's dead. But no, she's okay. And they throw her into a like a freezer, like underneath the barn. And this is where they say, oh, it's easier when you get both of them at the same time. Why didn't you get both of them? And Red's like, well, what'd you want me to do? Hold him up at gunpoint and get him into my truck? And it's like, well, if your plan is to get both of them, then yes, you are in a deserted highway in the middle of nowhere in the Southwest, where like you said, it's scary because there's no one around. He had ample opportunity to do that and he just didn't, which is why I'm like, are these guys terrible at this? Are they kind of okay at it? Do they do it, well, sometimes? Because there's like all these license plates in the barn. Maybe that means that he's done this a million times and he collects the license plates as trophies. Or maybe he just has a lot of license plates. I don't know. Uh, I assume the license plates are for all the various nefarious things he's done in the past. So I think he's done this many times. But you're right. It's intentionally vague. And these guys are not perfect pros so are, are they just kind of dumb because you're right why didn't they just kidnap them and you know knock them out maybe because they're just dummies maybe but jeff sees them lock amy up in this like freezer thing under the barn red locks it he leaves the barn jeff tries to open up this compartment but he can't it's locked he doesn't have the key so he finds a gun and he goes into the house and the son is in one room playing video games. I think it's Doom. It is Doom. Okay. Remember Doom? I never played it. The entire source code fits on like a floppy disk. So it's funny that you can program Doom on almost anything. Like the little screen on your printer. Like you could put Doom on there. I've seen people put it on like the LED screen on like the refrigerator. It, it could be on anything. Why would you want to play Doom on your refrigerator or your printer? It's just funny. Oh, I never got into that game. And my roommate sophomore year played it all night, every night, like cursing at it. And so I just have a bad association with that game. But here I thought Jeff was going to grab the kid and he was going to hold a gun on the kid and be like, hey, you think it's fun messing with people's family? Now you're going to give me my wife or I'm going to hurt your kid. But Jeff doesn't do that. He just points a gun at Red and the goons, and then the kid comes in with a rifle and says, hey, I know how to protect my family. You are not going to hurt my dad. And then Red is telling him to shoot Jeff, and Jeff is saying, don't do it. And he's able to kind of grab the gun, knock it away. But then Billy, the guy who is pretending to be dumb, he runs away, but Jeff is able to get the other guys to let Amy out of that freezer thing under the barn. Yeah, and she's still alive. And this is another opportunity. Look, I mean, these guys were about to kill your wife. She was minutes away from dying and suffocating in this freezer. And, you know, there's an argument to be made. You know, there's one way to make sure you get away with this. You got three bad guys there. Pop, pop, pop. 
You don't have to kill the wife and kid. You could probably lock them in the cellar down there. But those guys, he puts them down with like a master lockdown with one guy that's clearly escaped. I mean, this is another like, this is not a smart move. At least you don't want to kill him. Shoot all three kneecaps. Why not do that? He should shoot them in the leg. He should do something. But again, this is not a guy thinking like this. He has not slept. This is overnight he's been there. We are now probably on 24 hours hours this guy has not eaten anything he hasn't slept he hasn't had anything to drink he is probably completely on nothing but adrenaline yes and therefore he may not make logical decisions however he should still be blinded by rage and the name of the movie's breakdown and it's gonna be a metaphor for not just the car breaking down but his breakdown but it's not he doesn't really break down I feel like if you're just running on fumes and you're just running on adrenaline and this guy was about to kill your wife, yeah, you shoot him. Whether you want to kill him or not, you shoot him in the leg. You make sure that guy's not coming after you or your wife anytime soon because you need to get that other guy who got away and you need to get your wife to safety. And that's what we would do with the uh, ability to just think clearly, sit in our nice uh, podcast room... (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, just uh, think about what we would do if our wife was kidnapped by a complete stranger in the American Southwest and how clearly we would be thinking. Our wife? We share a wife in this situation? One's wife. Oh, okay. Oh, God. I don't know what you're thinking in this hypothetical. I don't know. You're my podcast husband. Uh, thanks. I don't, I don't know how to respond to that other than to say, uh, thanks. You know what's really odd when, like, when a man says, oh, she's my work wife. Like, dude, that's that's really creepy. Like, super creepy. Super creepy. But for us, eh, podcast husband, I don't think uh, Courtney's threatened by that. No, she is not. Uh, she, she most certainly is not. Uh, but the one guy, Billy, who escaped, he goes and he rescues Red from the basement barn freezer thing. Because of course he does. There's a car chase. Because of course there is. Both Billy and the other random evil henchmen are dispatched in big fiery car chase explosions. It all comes down to Red versus Jeff on a bridge. I think this is a really thrilling ending. Uh, Basically, they get into a car crash, and the truck doesn't have the 18-wheel big rig in the back, the cargo. It's just the front of the truck. And the truck now is crashed into the side rail of this uh, thin bridge overlooking basically a big canyon. And half of this truck is hanging over the side. And both men have fallen over. And uh, Jeff is now hanging from, basically he's dangling over the cliff. And uh, Red, he is knocked unconscious temporarily inside the driver's seat, quickly comes to. It's very uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the end of that. And, you know, other films that kind of end in this situation. And they're both hanging by the edge. It's kind of a race to the top. And Red, he makes it up there first. They have a quick fight up there, but uh, Jeff is knocked over the side, is hanging again by one arm, and Red takes a huge bunch of chains and he starts making a whip. And he's whipping Jeff, and he, you know, it's obviously you're not gonna be able to hold on. But uh, Jeff realizes I got one shot. This doesn't matter if it hurts, man. As Red whips the chains down, Jeff grabs them. And there's this great look as Jeff grabs the chains. Red gives this look, and it's a real, oh, 
fuck look <laughs> and you know Kurt Russell is named Jeff in this film not to disparage anyone named Jeff I'm just saying this is not Snake Plissken he's not a tough guy but in this moment he gives that Kurt Russell growl and like snarl Jeff pulls the chain and Red is flipped over and he falls you know a thousand feet to to the bottom of the canyon but he's not dead. As we find out. Just really, really hurt. Probably paralyzed. Probably. And Jeff is able to grab Amy out of the truck because in the crash, her leg had been kind of pinned into the wreckage. He pulls her out and then she goes over to the release on the truck so that the cab that was hanging on by a tiny little bit falls down and crushes him. Like, this I get because it's a movie and she was tortured and possibly raped and she's furious and she wants revenge and here is somebody acting out of blind rage. But it's still unsatisfying because this guy's paralyzed. He's not going anywhere. Again, I feel like if Jeff really wanted to fuck with this guy, he could yell down, now I know where your wife lives. I'm just going to head back to your place now. Bye bye You know, fuck with his head a little bit. But no, the wife just uh, drops a truck on him and crushes him. And then the movie ends. Yeah, yeah, it ends. No, like the movie can't end there. This movie desperately needed a button. It needed something. It needed a scene where they are back at the police station where they're talking about, well, we got away from these guys and we find out that the cop who was shot... He's okay. He's going to pull through because he's a fighter, don't you know? And so what are these guys doing? Well, these guys have been kidnapping people in the American Southwest for five years. This is what they do. They kidnap them. They rape the women. They rob them. And then they kill them. Whatever it is, like there needs to be some explanation. Apparently, there was a scene in the original script that showed Jeff and Amy talking to the FBI. And Amy says, well, the next time we're going to fly. And then the movie ends and they didn't think that was an appropriate way to end the movie in terms of tone, you know, kind of ending it on a quip, which is fine. That would have felt out of place. But like this movie really needed some kind of wrap up scene and we did not get it. And I was very confused and disappointed by that. But because we are at the end of the movie, I will ask you, James, do you think Breakdown stands the test of time? I absolutely do. I think it's a great, thrilling film. The director of this film, Jonathan, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Mostov, Mostov, um, he wrote this film. Uh, he directed it. I think it's just really well done. It's a tight 90-minute film. I really felt like I would make all the decisions and the mistakes that this guy would make, too. His car starts floating down a river at one point. I'm thinking, maybe you should probably get out of that car and try to swim away or something. But he doesn't. And I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't either. I just feel like I would have done almost everything he does right and wrong. I think the cast is great. Kurt Russell's always awesome. Catherine Quinlan, uh, she does a good job in her small role as the, as the wife. This guy, J.T. Walsh, is just awesome. So good. So kind of terrifying Uh, i think the film is really fun i think it stands the test of time and uh it's not a film i need to see for another 10 years or so but uh fun film i really like it what do you think al second time you're seeing it breakdown does it stand the test of time uh no this movie is an idea this movie is a concept what would happen if your car broke down and someone took your wife and you didn't know where she was wouldn't that be crazy yeah okay 
So let's see what happens. And then like the mystery is there when he goes to that diner and everyone says, no one knows where your wife is. We have no idea. We never saw her. Wait, what the hell is going on? Then he gets the truck driver and the truck driver says, I've never seen you before in my life. Oh, so he's having a breakdown. Maybe his wife doesn't exist. Maybe he made her all up. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it's like he's having a true mental breakdown. That could be interesting. That could be crazy. But then it just kind of goes into this very straight, very boring kidnapping story. And this is a movie that desperately, desperately needed a twist. Any kind of twist. There are so many opportunities that there could have been one. That the wife isn't real. That the truck driver shaves his beard. The only twist we get is the guy who pretends to be dumb isn't really dumb. And he says the cops are in on it and the cops really aren't in on it. And we find that out like 30 seconds after we think that that's true. When we get to the end and Jeff is holding Red hostage and his wife is there, Jeff is like, do you know what your husband does? He kidnaps people. I thought maybe she was the real ringleader. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, you think I don't know what he does? I'm the brains behind this operation. That would have been interesting. Nope. Like there are so many opportunities for something interesting to happen and nothing interesting happens. Nothing interesting happens in 90 minutes, Al. No. So much of it is him just kind of running back and forth to the diner, to the truck, to the same (laughs) policeman saying, where's my wife? Where's my wife? Where's my wife? When he could go batshit crazy, then there's an opportunity to see what happens to a regular guy, a regular schmo named Jeff, when his wife is kidnapped and taken from him. How batshit crazy will he go to get her back? Will he rob a bank? Will he threaten a kid? Will he shoot an innocent man in the leg? This guy doesn't do any of that. He doesn't get pushed far enough. In a movie called Breakdown, I expect to see this guy being pushed to his limit and beyond. And that would be an interesting movie. This movie is not interesting. This movie is really, really dull. Also, by the way, in terms of it standing the test of time, cell phones. Cell phones render this entire movie's plot completely obsolete. In the American Southwest, really? Yes. Not even just the part of like, oh, the car breaks down, we'll call AAA. Okay, fine. In this movie and maybe in real life, they wouldn't have service. But what about the bad guys and their plot? Again, these are all hypothetical questions because I have no fucking clue what their plot is. But if they're trying to rob people and this woman says, I'm a donut heiress. Oh, really? What's your name? Well, I have your license here. I'm just going to Google you. Nope, you're not a donut heiress. She says, I have $90,000 in the bank. Oh, really? Here's your cell phone. Can you open up your banking app and let's check your balance? Oh, your balance is $4,000. You don't have $90,000. Like there is a lot more than just the not getting service to call AAA. It all comes apart with smartphone technology. So did you like the film, Al? No, I really (laughs) did not. It was so stupid. Very stupid. Pointless. Could have been interesting. Really could have been an amazing, interesting movie. But it's not. Cell phones render it obsolete. The movie does not stand the test of time. That's going to do it for us this week. Next week is Mother's Day. And we're going to be doing a movie with my mom and your mom. I'm really excited about this. They haven't picked a movie yet, and they really need to because we're going to have to record this episode soon. But I am very excited to have our moms on the podcast for Mother's Day. Aw. Word to your mother, but in a nice way. 
Oh, like Vanilla Ice. No, no, not like that at all. In a nice way, I said. Dustin, sorry I didn't like Breakdown. I still appreciate that you asked us to do it, and I still invite all listeners to make requests. We will take your requests. We will watch the movies you want us to watch. So please keep those coming. You can write to us at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to write something a little more substantial, you got a little bit more to say, you can always email us. We are the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.